Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm your host as always, Damon Martin. He is the man with the most knockouts in UFC history. He's back after a wild week. Matt Brown, Matt, welcome back. Appreciate you being here. The show's not the same without you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. My buddy just sent me a little video of a highlight of the one and only Ernesto Hoost. Oh, and yeah. That's very distracting, bro. Ernesto Hoost was the fucking man. Did I ever tell you? I think I've told you this story before. I went to one K1 fight in my entire life. And it was out in Vegas when um, Bob Sapp fought Chemo in the main event, uh-huh. and th- and that was the that was the same night that Ernesto Hoost fought Vernon Tiger White, and he mm. flew across the ring with a flying kick, and it literally looked like he took off Vernon Tiger White's head. It was the quickest, like nastiest knockout because he did it in the corner, and Vernon Tiger White just slumped down. And I was like, "What the hell just happened?" Like he literally jumped across the ring and kicked him in the head, and he just crumbled in the corner. Man, Vernon White, that was one of those guys that I feel like just never lived up to all of the. I don't know, like, like he could have done so much better. I feel like he would just fight anybody anytime, though. Well, those old school, that's uh, old school Lions Den guy. Yeah, yeah, man. Actually, the first UFC fight I ever seen live was when he fought Chuck Liddell. Oh yeah, Vernon Tiger White. Yeah, one of the, yeah, he's one of those iconic, uh, iconic fighters who you can't say his name without saying Vernon Tiger White. Like, you can't say just Vernon White. Like it's like it's like <laughs> right. saying it's like saying Donald Cerrone. It just doesn't sound right. Like it's Donald Cowboy Cerrone. It's it's Vernon Tiger White. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, whatever happened to him? I don't know. I've never I don't know. Him in a long time is. No, I saw I saw a photo about a year ago. I think it was about a year ago, and somebody sent it to me, and they're like, "Do you recognize the two guys in this photo?" And Ken Shamrock was one. One was Guy Mesger because I know I've I've seen Guy fairly recently, 
But the third guy in the photo was Trey Telegman. Remember Trey Telegman, the guy who had the one pack? And I didn't yeah. recognize him. I was like, is that I, – I, I feel like I should know who that is. And I've watched Trey. Like, I know who Trey Telegman is, but it didn't look like him. And he's like, Trey Telegman. I was like, holy shit, that's Trey Telegman? I was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen that guy in, like, a decade. <laughs> yeah, that, boy, that was a talented gym, wasn't it? Back in the day, man, that was the that was the that was the gym. The Lions Den was like the big one. It was the Lions Den, the Gracies. Like that was the that was the the, the they turned out a lot of Hammer House, of course, with the uh, <laughs> with the shoe box. Yeah, shoot the box with uh, those guys. Yeah, there was a few of those back in the day. So yeah, Trey Telegman, Guy Mesger, Jerry Bolander. Remember Jerry Bolander? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Old school, yeah. old man, school. Good times, man. We should do like some podcasts, like just talking about all the old shit back then yeah you know? oh yeah oh yeah what what was the what was the first ufc you ever watched uh the vhs i believe it was i know tank was on it tank abbott um i can't remember who he fought but like i was just obsessed with tank after that you know what I mean? he was like <laughs> one of us you know what i mean he was a fat bar brawler and you're like dude that's like the dude that i know down at you know joe's bar bro <laughs> like a, that's one of us right there. I mean, he's a fucking pit fighter. Uh, yeah. So like, I, I love tank man. And then I think the either second or third one right around then I've seen the VHS with a uh, tank and, and Vitor Belfort. And I was like, Oh, tank isn't all that. I thought he was just going to knock out everybody. And then Vitor had come in, just fucking scorched him. And I was like, like, Oh, okay. Like that's a real athlete right there. That's the difference. So, Learned pretty young, but the first live event I ever seen actually was a Pride, and it was when uh, Sakuraba fought Gracie. Oh, really? No, I wasn't there live, obviously, but uh, you know, that I watched on TV live, and it was Sakuraba Gracie, and just went, you know, it was like hour and a half long or something. But to me, that was the most amazing thing ever, man. It was so epic, and I know looking back, it was like. It's like, man, that was a boring ass fight. Like, didn't do <laughs> but at the time, watching it live, I was like, dude, this is fucking epic. I remember watching. Uh, I think it was Shamrock and and uh, Dan Severn when they didn't have rounds or anything, and they went like twenty. It was like thirty minutes, and it was the most boring fight ever. <laughs> but <Yeah>. like back, <laughs> like back in the day, you're like, oh my god, this epic like Iron Man war, and then you rewatched, you're like, yeah, this isn't good. Like this is not a good fight at all. Like it was just not entertaining whatsoever. Or I remember when uh, Severn fought uh, Hoist Gracie. I, I I didn't watch it. You know, I watched it way later, right? But I was like, dude, what the fuck did he tap to? Like, what did what did that guy and the little kid in the gi do to him? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think Severn knew what he did to him, right? But, you know, Severn just held him down forever. It was the same thing. It was so boring. And, you know, you're like, oh, Severn's beating the crap out of him. And then all of a sudden he's tapping out. You're like, like what just happened? Like he just scissor his legs or something. <laughs> now it's funny when you watch the old UFC events, you can literally see the stages of evolution. Like you mentioned tank Abbott's like Vitor Belfort. And I remember UFC 10 when our guy, Mark, the hammer Coleman shows up mm. monster wrestler, taking guys down, headbutting them and beating them up. And that was like, of course he's the godfather of ground and pound. But I remember watching that event, UFC 10 and like seeing like that was a shift in the sport, like a high level top wrestler coming in and just taking people down and mauling them to that point that hadn't really been done. You know what I mean? Like hoist came in and that was the jujitsu. Everyone learned about Brazilian jujitsu at that moment. And then, you know, obviously you got like the street fighters like tank Abbott. Then you go to like the next evolution with wrestling with Mark Coleman. And like those days you could see the evolution of the sport. Now, you know, everyone's like, you know, everyone's well-versed in everything. Like you can't get, 
into the UFC without knowing a little bit of everything. Like you may not be the best ground guy in the world, but you got to be somewhat decent unless you're like CM Punk. You got to be somewhat decent in like, you know, jujitsu, you know, but back in the day, like you could literally see event by event, like the evolution of people coming in. Yeah. It was pretty cool how that worked. Was it, man? That was, and, and, and then pride had, you know, very similar thing, right? You kind of just see the evolution, man, where you had these guys, you know, the freak show fights, you had the fucking, um, you know, it was, God, it was just different over there, man. Like, especially the heavyweight division, right? Like, the, like that was the real evolution. Like guys like Fedor that were just smashing people everywhere. And yeah, man, like what a great time that was. Do you remember the match when Bob sat basically pile drove a no, big nog on his head and somehow oh, no yeah. gear came back and won? Oh, yeah. That was crazy. Like that was that was like the truest definition of a freak show fight. Like Bob Sapp was this just monstrous human being who really had no idea what he was doing. But you know, he's like freaking, you know, he's six foot four, you know, three hundred pounds of muscle. You know, you can just you can you know, you can fake your way through a lot of that just being that strong. And he dumps Nogara on his head, look like he killed him. And then O'Gara comes back and taps him out. Like, dude, that was like, those were <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not necessarily happy. We don't have those fights anymore, but like, those were, those were some crazy days. Dude. I remember training with Matt Hume and he trained Bob Sapp for some of those fights, right? Cause all the guys from Japan used to always come over to Hume's and train. Right. And he said that, he, that Bob Sapp was the biggest pussy you've ever seen. <laughs> like he was just like the softest guy you've ever met in your life like cried during training like didn't want to do anything it's so funny how that works man all the big monsters are always the softest guys i always remember the fight when he did k1 when crow cop kicked him and broke his orbital bone do you remember that fight crow cop kicked him and he just like fell down holding his eye and crying i mean not that like listen i can't really blame you there crow cop kicked me in the head i'd probably either be dead or crying too but uh, i'll never forget that or maybe it was a punch i don't know if he kicked him he just punched him but he punched him in the eye and he like grabbed his eye and like fell over like it was like that was like i remember he did that in k1 i was like yep that dude's done i remember right they fought twice right because the one time was the punch broke his orbital and the second time he kicked his liver right that's what it was yeah that's what i was thinking of (laughs) like i remember the same fight no, it may have been the same. I just remember him grabbing his eye and like he had that like weird like I, I I'm not gonna listen, I'm not gonna fault anyone for you know, whatever they do. They got more guts being in there than I do. Uh but like I just remember him like grabbing his eye and just like crumbling over. I just always remember like he grabbed his eye and just like flopped like he didn't go out from the eye. He grabbed his eye and like went down. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing. He beat Ernesto Hoos twice, so Dude. And now he's Is got that like amazing or what? Yeah, now he's got like a twenty and like five hundred record. He just loses. Like he still fights. Does he really? Yeah, he said he was doing. The, he did. The, he was doing that. He did that freak show fight over in uh, Thailand or whatever with uh, Rampage Jackson not that long ago. Like he does all these the weird. Like he circus was fights. Yeah, circus fights, circus fights. Yeah, he's doing that, and he did. Uh, he was still fighting over in like Japan and other places in Asia. Like he would fight and like it, he would put on a fight for like forty five seconds. And then he would just roll over to whoever he was fighting. If you look at his record, it's, like, remarkably hilarious now. It's, like, 25 and, like, 500 or something. So what? I'm making that number up, but it's, like, ridiculous. It's like the old Shannon Rich style. (laughs) Now, now there's a a name that the the new fans don't remember. Shannon the Cannon. (laughs) Legendary. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember having a conversation with Diego Sanchez, 
years ago, right after he did the Ultimate Fighter, he was fighting Shannon Rich in King of the Cage, and it was his. I think it was like his last fight or second to last fight before he got picked up for the Ultimate Fighter. And I remember he took Shannon down and had him mounted. And Shannon, he said, now "This is Diego telling me this story." Shannon was literally putting his arm up, basically like begging Diego to armbar him. Like he was just like, "I want out." armbar me like he's not even fighting it you know like how you post he was literally posting his arm just begging diego and diego said no no i'm not taking it just kept punching and he wouldn't take the arm like he's like literally like here tap me out and he wouldn't do it he just kept punching him i remember diego telling me that story so i fought on the same card as shannon rich one time i fought fucking uh pete spratt bro oh pete spratt old school houston legend right there yeah man my third professional fight i'd only been training for about a year at the time maybe i don't know a year and a half i was scared out of my fucking mind but i had to do these uh uh radio interviews and we did the interviews you know the same radio station as shannon rich and like listen to him talk i was like so man this dude's gonna kill whoever he's fighting (laughs) (laughs) and i watched him go out there and i think he like rolled for a hill hook hill hook missed it and just tapped out (laughs) i don't think he even fought (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I just remember like how blown away i was i was like he's talked all that amazing stuff about how awesome he is and like he was so well spoken and, and then just gave up i was like what is this there i wonder like i'm curious like there's guys who have losses to shannon rich like he didn't go oh and whatever like he won fights like do you look, I wonder if those guys look back on those fights and they're just like, damn it. Like, how did I lose this guy? Like, he, he, he was like, he was like the professional rollover guy. Like that's the guy you went in there. He had a, a little bit of a name and he had a, you know, he had a big like record. And so people would go in there and he was like the stepping stone fight. Like Diego Sanchez fought him. A lot of guys did that. And that was his thing. Like he was kind of like the guy who rolled over for a lot of good fighters and uh, you know, whatever. But uh, I wonder if, like, the 20 guys who lost to him were just like, fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, there used to be a guy here in uh, in Ohio. He was 3 and 26. And they would, he, they would, <laughs> his name was the Raging Redneck. And they would always announce him as, you know, this, I forget his actual name, but, you know, this is whatever, the Raging Redneck. He's 3 and 26. But he's undefeated in the streets <laughs> every single time, and I, I don't know how many times I've seen him fight where they would just, you know, a guy would whiff a punch like two feet away from him. Like you just, you all you had to do to fight him was just throw a punch. It didn't have to land, and he'd just fall over. And you'd hear the announcers sometimes they would be like, "Hey, is there like a sniper in the crowd or something?" <laughs> like what just happened? To him? Oh man, so he br- he would do it like. Wes Sims used to pay him. We, we should get Wes on sometime and he could talk about it. Like, you know, Wes would pay, you know, two or 300 bucks, whatever. And dude's like, like, Hey, this is better than working in a construction job. Right. He's like, <laughs> I get two or 300 bucks. All I gotta do is go in there and fall over. <laughs> the ring <laughs> had, his whole, had his whole ring entrance. He'd walk out. It'd take him forever to walk out. You know, he'd walk really slow and then he'd walk all around the outside of the cage and he would grab so back, you know, that cage back then, the cages didn't have any walkways for like ring girls or whatever. So he'd walk up to the cage, grab the fence and shake it and then walk over to the next panel, grab the cage, <laughs> shake it, and then finally make his way all the way back in. So I think he was like trying to intimidate his opponent, but 
Yeah, it just didn't work, I guess. Didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. It's funny you bring up Wes Sims. I was just talking about Wes recently. We were talking about like old school UFC guys, like guys, you know, where they are, kind of like where are they now? And I, because I remember I ran into Wes before your fight here in Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. I was walking up nationwide and I saw him outside and he spotted me and I spotted Wes. I was like, Wes Sims. He's like, what's going on? Uh, I hadn't seen him in like forever because I used to talk to Wes all the time. But, uh, uh, from my understanding and like, you know, and I think you told me this, like Wes is doing pretty good. Like Wes is, is doing well for himself. Like he's not, you know, he didn't become a cautionary tale of like, you know, fighter gone wrong when the career is over. He's doing very good. Actually. He's making a lot of money, doing really good for himself. Got a few businesses going on. He's in real estate now. Um, yeah, I'm very, uh, uh he's actually a very, very smart businessman. He has a real good business mind. Uh, very intelligent. He, he owns a couple of um, PAL leagues, like PAL, Police Athletic Leagues. You know, so puts on classes for those guys. Coleman goes out and runs those classes every now and then. Lord knows what that ends up like. I don't know if anybody ever noticed. Like Coleman is anybody that follows Coleman on social media sees how nutty he is. And I think he's the first person I ever met in my life that is crazier sober than drunk. <laughs> like, like when he was drunk, I mean, he was maybe a like kind of emotional at times and would kind of say some off the wall shit, but he didn't have a lot of energy. Now all that energy has just been bound up for years and years. And it's just all coming out in every direction. <laughs> so, I've never seen it. I've seen a lot of crazy guys drunk and then they sober up and they're calm and cool. And you're like, Oh, okay, that's good. He sobered up. And, if you met Coleman today, you would think that he is uh, drunk right now and he used to be sober, but it's actually the opposite. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because like Wes and Coleman together, like that pair, man, I tell you what, like I can only imagine what those guys, I've been around them together maybe once or twice. So I can only imagine what that's like. You know, Wes Sims reminds me of like Wes Sims was so ahead of his time. You know, he reminds me of, I like, we used to have him on my old radio show all the time, like all the time. I still have clips of Wes Sims talking on my old show. Um, he was like Chell Sonnen before Chell Sonnen. Like he yeah. was like, he was like Wes Sims. What like Chell Sonnen like is like Wes Sims at middleweight. Like he is literally that dude. Like Wes Sims was hilarious and he could cut a promo, man. He was so funny and, uh, he could tell a story, man. Like he could tell a great story. Like he was full on, he was Chell before Chell. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the first guys I would say to kind of, you know, I guess there's him, Tito. I guess I think those were kind of the first guys really to kind of do promos, right? And kind of hype the fight and talk shit and, you know, say silly stuff. Like all the rest of us, we're all just like, like yeah, we're going we're gonna to kick his ass, you know? Like, and, yeah, they're just playing a whole different role there. Do you, did Wes, did you hear the story that Wes told about the time he stopped a mugging? Did you ever tell you that story? Doesn't sound familiar. He was, I, I guess he was like, there was somebody getting mugged or something. Wes Sims inter, interjected and helped the guy out. And then the police come over. And I guess he like had the guy, like the guy who was, who was mugging the person or was robbing somebody. And Wes grabbed him and like had him down. And the, and the cop was like trying to get the guy to calm down. And he's like, he's like, uh, I'm going to mace you if you don't calm down. And I still have the audio clip. Wes is like, well, I said, Wes Sims wanted to see a good Mace him. So I said, Mace him, Mace him. And he's like, that was a bad idea because it blew back in my eyes, the cop's eyes. It was bad for everybody. <laughs> oh, man. Don't like to be a fly on the wall for that kind of shit, right? 
<laughs> oh, yeah, Wes, like... he used to be a nut, man, but it's very impressive what he's done with himself, bro. He's doing really, really good for himself. I got to catch up with him soon. We'll get him on here sometime. Yeah, man. we got to get him on here. It's fun. I should reach out to him, too. I still got his number. We just have a talk. Like I said, I ran into him before your fight. I was walking up nationwide and I ran into him and I was like, Wes Sims. And he's like, Hey, what's going on, man? Like one of those guys, like, you know, you haven't seen him for five years and you just, you know, kind of fall back in your old pattern. Cause like I said, we used to back in the day, I used to see him all the time. I got to have him and Coleman and Randleman on my show all the time. Like that was like the Columbus crew. So yeah, we got to get Wes on here one of these days. Yeah. It's pretty interesting when you look at guys like Chael or Wes, you know, they're actually like really, really smart guys, you know? Yeah, like they kind of come across playing this character, and you know, I'm sure like Colby's like that too, right? Like they come across this character, uh, but they're actually like really smart. You know, it actually takes a a certain type of intelligence to be able to play that character. I think. Yeah, it's funny because I I haven't spoken to Colby. I've done interviews with Colby in a couple of years, but I could say like when I was like closer, like when I did interviews with him and talked to him a lot. Um, off like and you know i think everyone's heard these stories and stuff i did a story on him before he fought usman the first time about the real colby covington's i reached out to a ton of his teammates at american top team when he was down there and like everyone's like man he's like the he is like the a-class teammate like he'll come in and help you early he'll stay late he'll help the amateurs he'll help everybody like if you're trying to learn wrestling like he'll teach you um great guy he'll help you out like i talked to this kid uh Thimbo Garimbo, who fought in the UFC recently, he was the one who came out afterwards and said he had like $7 in his bank account when mm-hmm. he fought and like all that kind of story. I just talked to him. He trains down at uh, MMA Masters with him and he was staying at the gym because he lives in Africa and he and he was flying over here and he was living in the gym and he wasn't, he didn't tell anyone that he was like, you know, broke. Like he wasn't like telling anyone. He said Colby would like bring him food and like help him out and like, Again, I'm certainly not justifying the insane things that Colby Covington says, but like when I was around him and like when I would talk to him when he wasn't Colby the character, like he was like the nicest guy in the world. Like he was genuinely like a super nice guy. And from everything I've ever heard, teammates, people around him were like, dude, he's a great teammate, a great friend. He'll help you out, blah, blah, blah. He just, you know, he's plays again. Listen, you know, I don't abide by some of the dumb things he says when he's in character, but you know, from everything I've heard outside of that, he's like a good dude. Yeah, I believe it, man. I mean, you even listen to his old interviews, like when he first came on into the UFC. I mean, he wasn't playing the character at all, right? Like, like he made a switch and played the character, and it fucking worked for him, man. It got him a lot of hype, and you know, and he's a really, really good fighter on top of it, so it's worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so speaking about crazy, insane things, about crazy, insane things uh, from this past week, and I know it was, I know you were watching, man. I know you bought your pay per view and you're sitting there watching Floyd Mayweather's exhibition bout with John Gotti the third. It turned into total. Who could have guessed that a exhibition fight between Floyd Mayweather and some random guy who's not a very good MMA fighter in boxing would just turn into a total melee when a guy gets disqualified and they have entourages charging the ring and getting in fights and stuff. Who could have ever imagined that would happen? Um, I'm not even going to talk about the sideshow that is that whole mess. Cause I just, it's like, what, but dude, what is Floyd doing? Seriously? Like what is Floyd doing? Like, what is he doing? Getting paid, bro. I bet he got paid more than, any UFC fighter last weekend for what he did over the weekend. And I didn't even know what was going on. Most of us, most people listening probably didn't even know what was happening. I bet he still got paid. Yeah. Of dollars, right? Like, you know, good for him, man. 
I tell you what, man. I mean, God, I guess, like I said, man, there's good business there if you can make it, right? Like, I guess he's uh, his yeah. Floyd Mayweather. I mean, it's just funny to me, like, he does these exhibition bouts, and you know someone, like, he's not stepping in there for $10. Like, they're paying him well, and he's not getting paid right. 20 He's not getting paid $20 million like he did during his boxing days, but he's getting paid well enough, and he was in there styling on this dude. John Gotti III had no business being in there with Floyd frickin' Mayweather in a boxing match. We all know that, and I think that's the that's where I'm like, what are you doing? Because, like, there's nothing interesting to me about that, but I'm sure someone's paying him. And I guess, was he, like, 47 now? Like, if you're 47 and you can go out and fight nobodies who have zero risk to you whatsoever and make a couple million dollars, I guess go for it. It's just, it's so bizarre. Like, he's the, he has, like, set this weird standard for himself where he's doing all these exhibition bouts against the weirdest opponents. Like, he fought the one, he fought uh, KSI's brother. I know KSI's your favorite fighter, Matt. He fought him. Him. He fought a couple of dudes in Japan. Uh, he now fought John Gotti the third. Like, who the hell's picking out these guys for him to fight? Like, where are these people coming from? <laughs> Dude, that's not such a new thing, though. Like, a lot of boxers been doing that for a long time, man. Like, doing, you know, stupid little fights or, or pro wrestling type stuff after their careers. Like, that's a, I think that's been around for a long time, I think. Yeah, it's just so bizarre to me. It's just like, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not, listen. I've said this a million times over. I'm never going to fault anyone making money. And and Floyd, you know, I assume he's got tons of money. He doesn't need this money. But who's gonna, who's ever really going to complain about adding an extra couple hundred thousand or five hundred thousand or whatever on the stockpile of cash he's got? Uh, it's just so weird. Like he's retired. Well, the weird he's thing, do- I think, right, right? Is the the weird thing not that uh, that he's doing it, but the weird thing is that it's working. Like <laughs> who's paying him, and like who's paying to watch this? That's what I can't figure out. Like, where's the fucking money coming from? Like, of course, like you said, he's not doing it for cheap. It's fucking Floyd Mayweather. He's doing it for a lot of money. But who's funding this shit? Is it, I mean, it was on pay-per-view. Like, who's the fuck? Ain't nobody buying that pay-per-view. Yeah, that's, yeah, it was some weird, like, offshoot, something called Zeus or something. Some, I've never heard of it before. But somebody's got money. How's it getting funded? I, dude, I'm telling you, like every time I hear these kind of things happen, and I, I maybe it's just like the 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 pessimist in me. Every time I hear one of these things, my thought is is like it's got to be some kind of like money laundering scheme or something. Like there's got to be something like nefarious happening that they mm-hmm. can shell out like two million dollars to get Floyd Mayweather. Because a, as you said, who's buying it for one, and then b, like even if you are buying it, like why are you buying it, like? Are you really going? Are you really going into it thinking that like Floyd Mayweather's got a chance to lose? Like the Logan, the Logan Paul fight was the one where I understood it because Logan is a big star and Logan's also like twice Floyd's size. And so I was like, okay, that's. I'm not saying it's interesting from an actual boxing perspective, but it's interesting because there's a story there. Logan's a big star. They put it on Showtime, all that kind of stuff. But like fighting John Gotti the Third on Zeus. Like, that sounds like a joke. Like, it sounds like I'd be like, oh, it, you, you, could you believe? Like, if I told you right now, I was like, you know what? Uh, uh, <laughs> his next fight, Floyd Mayweather is fighting the dude from Jersey Shore on on uh, on Neptune Network. You'd probably have to believe me because that's where Floyd's at today. Yeah, he's getting paid doing it, right? So, yeah, maybe uh, Floyd will fight me, man. Let's go. You know, if he's fighting... I'm better than John Gotti, I think. Yeah, where's where's the raging redneck? That might be the next guy online to fight Floyd Mayweather. I like that too. 
Um, I think he's probably retired raging redneck at this point, but <laughs> the retire- he might come out of retirement for a Floyd Mayweather payday. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, but at least, like you said, at least Logan Paul has like fan base, you know, like yeah. I knew when that happened, I didn't know when, that's the weirdest thing. Like, why the fuck's he fighting John Gotti? Like, how have, does he? How does John Gotti get picked to do that? I have no like John Gotti's not even like he's not. It's not like John Gotti is like a UFC level fighter. Even I've never that, heard his name before in my life. Yeah, he is a he is a mixed martial artist. I think he has like a six and two record or something like that. Like he's I mean he's fought and he's fought in like regional promotions. Like I think like CES has had him that promotion. Um, oh, I don't get. Yeah, but like. It's the name. He got it because of the name. He is John Gotti's grandson. Like that's his claim to fame. Like uh, John God, John Gotti, the 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 mobster, is his grandfather. So that's how he got it. But it's just like so weird, man. Like it's just yeah. I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand the attraction to it. Um, more power to you. I mean, you know, you're getting. I mean. How much? Okay, Floyd Mayweather's not doing it for cheap. We just established that. We know that he's not stepping in there. But how much is John Gotti really making from this? Like, you know, what I mean, like, what are they paying him? Like, what are they paying this guy to step in there and get beat on by Floyd Mayweather for five rounds? And beat on being a relative term because you know Floyd's got to put on a show. He's not going to go out there and just knock out in the first round. You're not fighting Deontay Wilder. Is going to separate your head from your shoulders. You're fighting. You know. I don't know. Did you watch that video I sent you? Like the melee afterwards, all that craziness. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've seen it. Real or staged? A lot of people are saying they think it was staged, like it was all set up to go like that. I don't. I didn't watch it that closely. I guess. <laughs> I don't. Know. I didn't I think study I... the video, Damon. <laughs> you weren't looking like this. You were looking like the Zapruder tapes, like breaking down footage frame by frame. <laughs> no, I was. I was actually. Uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I was actually driving when you sent it and watched it <laughs> while I was driving, so I didn't put a lot of energy into it. Yeah, I need well, to I... stop doing that shit. I'm on my phone way too much when I'm driving. Uh, you're not the only one. You know, there's a new law in Ohio about that now, though, though, right? They give yeah, you a ticket. They, they, they give you. They give you a ticket now. If they catch you driving while you're on your phone. Yeah, it'll probably happen to me one day. Yeah, it'll probably happen uh, to all of us. I'm. I'm pretty sure it will. Yeah, I'm. Now guilty. I find myself on iTunes reading the lyrics while I'm driving because you know I always <laughs> listen to music and I'm like, because the the lyrics just play right along with it and I'm like. I'm like, I always wonder what they said during this fucking song. You, know? so. <laughs> you need to get your, you need to get your touch screen, put it on there so you can read it easier in the, in the car. Well, that's what it is. It, you use, you use iTunes or yeah. Spotify, right? I iTunes, use, I, I use, I use, yeah. 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 So it'll follow along with it. You don't even have to touch it. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like, it's like, and then the music we listen to, at least, you know, I listen to primarily. Yeah, if you, you can't fucking understand what they're saying most times. So I like to see what they're saying. That's true. That's I'm that's like, totally, like a kid, totally, bro. totally understandable. Totally understandable. Uh, the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. Did you catch the uh, Did you catch the fights this past weekend? The actual fights, not Floyd Mayweather. The actual fights, the uh, UFC two eighty nine card. I kind of feel like being a co host of an MMA podcast. I probably should have, but I did. <laughs> did you see the news <laughs> coming out of it though? What's that? Amanda Nunes retired. Did you see that? Oh yeah, I did see that part. Yeah, yeah. What a fucking legend, man. You know, has there she, you could you could argue. Like, we can argue all day about who we believe is the greatest of all time. Like, is it John Jones? Is it GSP? Is it Anderson Silva? We can play all the games of, like, you know, like I had a conversation with someone earlier today. I said, John Jones is the GOAT. And they said, well, he tested positive, so he's not my GOAT. So we can have that debate all day. Has there ever been a more unanimously considered greatest of all time than Amanda Nunes? Like, there's no question. Like, there's like when you say arguably or who do you believe like Amanda Nunes like that is how good she was is that she is by far the best women's fighter ever and it's not a question like maybe one day someone will take that from her but right now like there's no question she is the greatest yeah and it's gonna take a long time before someone is able to even match that you know I just seen the list there today like what cyborg Rousey, Shevchenko twice, uh, home. I mean, Jesus, that, that's that's all the top girls right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, like she, yeah, she beat she beat every woman that ever held the bantamweight and or featherweight title in the UFC. She beat Jermaine oh, wow. Durandami. She beat Holly Holm. She beat Chris Cyborg. She beat Ronda Rousey. She beat Misha. Well, Tate. that's exactly what I was about to say. She beat every other girl that might have had a claim to being the best ever, and and she. As far as I can remember, she smashed all of them except for Shevchenko. Yeah, Shevchenko's the only one she didn't like full on like beat like really badly. Um, yeah, it's weird because like again, we all like to have these debates. There's no wrong answer. I mean, it's a subjective question, right? Like you can say like you know some people might say, oh well, this guy's not the greatest. Well, you can't really argue with opinion, but they're really it's hard to have another opinion about amanda nunez right like she has so far and away proven herself and you know what's really scary about that is is that for someone to top her do you realize how far they're gonna have to go because at least at these weight classes like none of these other girls are around anymore like rousey's retired you know what i mean cyborg's not in the ufc anymore and she's probably got very limited time left in the sport uh misha tate's still around but she's not the same misha tate that she was you know four or five years ago um all these other people are just not around. So like to, to get to that level, you're going to have to win the title and defend it like 10 times to even get in that conversation yeah. of Amanda Nunes. Like that's how far she separated herself from the competition. Like it's great. Cause like even right now, like as great as John Jones has been. And I, again, I consider John Jones the greatest. You could argue that there's some other guys potentially, you know, coming up who like, you know, if Khabib had kept fighting, you know, Khabib probably could have gotten there. He retired, so it's kind of an out. You know, but Islam Makachev, like, if he keeps dominating, he could get in that conversation, right? Like, he could get in the conversation in a couple of years. It's going to take, like, a decade for anyone to get close to Amanda Nunes. And they're starting now. Like, it's going to take him a decade. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm not seeing anyone out there right now that's got that in them, I don't think. But, yeah, what a run she's had, man. Very impressive. And, um, I was gonna say when you when you talk about all the subjective shit, you know, like her 
claim to the goat is objective, right? Like it's not even subjective anymore. Like it's just pure facts. Like no one comes fucking close. And there's no question about it. You know, what's crazy though, too, is like, you remember when and Anderson didn't retire, but when Anderson lost to Chris Weidman and then unfortunately had the leg break in the second fight, it felt like a little bit of the torch had been passed, right? Like, cause Weidman had said like, I'm going to be the guy to beat Anderson. I'm going to be the guy to, to dethrone him. And he did it. He proved it and beat him. And then Chris fought and lost to, you know, rock hole down the road. And it kind of moved on from there. And there was like a legitimate in that moment, a little bit of the passing torch. Cause when he had the broken leg, then he was out for a year and a half and you kind of moved on, right? Like the division kind of moved on. Amanda retiring with the title is like the most gangster move ever because they're probably going to do Juliana Pena and Raquel Pennington. Well, Nunez thumped both of them. She beat Pena, you know, 50-43 the last time they fought. And credit, Pena did beat her. She was the one girl who beat Amanda Nunez recently. But, you know, the second fight wasn't even close. Amanda just absolutely dominated her. And then she dominated Raquel Pennington. Holly Holm's still out there. She dominated, knocked out Holly Holm. Like, this like this is one of those weird situations where someone retires and you're like where does the division go from here because like she was so she was so like consequential like the, the Dana Dana White's already come out and said they're probably just going to dump featherweight like they don't need it anymore like Amanda's not around they're just going to get rid of the division and bantamweight like everyone that's near the top is everyone that she's already beaten like it's so crazy like how much of a vacuum Amanda Nunez's retirement is going to send into that division. Like the band, remember the band, I mean, the band division is how women started in the UFC. And, you know, obviously with Ronda and Ronda was a massive, massive star. And then you kind of pass the torch with Ronda to Holly. And then obviously to Misha. And then of course to Amanda and then Amanda, you know, vanquishes Ronda again. And, you know, now it's like, where do you go from here? Like where, you know what I mean? Like, I know you're, I, I don't, I don't imagine you're sitting around looking at the rankings in your spare time, Matt, but like Juliana Pena, Raquel Pennington, does that get you excited? Yeah. It doesn't have the same pop to it. Does it <laughs> now, now, Do you think that Amanda stays retired for sure? I do. I think this is one that'll stick. She's, she's got a baby. She's got another one on the way. She's got a lot of money. Um, and I think she's one of the rare instances where she wants to go out on top. Like I think she, and she hates Juliana Pena and I think she wants to stick it to her. Like Julie, she, she said she almost retired after the first Juliana fight, but she couldn't stomach the idea of leaving with Juliana as champion. And so she had to come back and just absolutely obliterate Juliana in the rematch. And then obviously she was going to fight her for a third time and Juliana got injured, but that's a gangster move. When you know, Juliana's like chomping at the bit to get there and she's like, Nope, lay down the title. I'm out. Peace out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Cause you know, she could come back and she like, she has a really good chance of beating anybody when she comes back and she can make good money. So that's the only reason I say, you know, is she actually retired? Like, she come back and beat somebody she's already beat again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I get this as I get this since she's done because, you know, she made a big deal out of it on Saturday, laying down the titles and everything. And I, you know, she has, you know, she is in a different place now with her wife and her kids and everything. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I, cause you and I know like m most fighters don't go out with their hands held high. They go out on their back. Like that's the sad reality of retirements in MMA. You know what I mean? They go until they can't go anymore. 
And you can count on one hand. You know, George St. Pierre went out as a champion. Khabib went out as a champion. Uh, you know, Amanda Nunes went out as a champion. But, like, rarely does anyone else do that. I get the sense that she's done, though. I get the sense that, like, she's probably done. She's moving on to other things. She hasn't been all that. She hasn't been incredibly active the last couple of years anyways. And while you're right, like, she could probably still beat everyone in the division. Um, she's already beaten everyone in the division. Like, she's already beat everybody once. Like, she beat Pena. She beat Pennington. She beat Home. Like, she beat Aldana this Saturday night. Like, what else? Like, she has nothing left to prove. Well, I just get the feeling that this could be a, a good publicity move for her, right? We're talking about the retirement maybe Pena or, or Pennington wins the title and then Nunez waits a year, maybe a year and a half, whatever, and says, you know what? I want to come back and take it again, get another payday. So the whole time she's out, you know, then it makes a, a bigger story. Now she gets the big news for the retirement, the big news for the comeback, makes the fight bigger, coming back out of retirement. So I don't know. I just always wonder, especially with someone – you know, goes out that high on top doing that. Well, it's, it's gotta be hard to stay away, man. I don't know how they do it. Is there anyone, is there anyone who has retired that you believe them? Because I'll be honest. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like most of the, I would say 98% of the time, I don't believe it. Like do some people stick to it? Yeah. Michael Bisping stuck to it. He retired and he's not fought and he's obviously never fighting again. He can't fight again. Um, you know, some guys have stuck to it, but, yeah, by and large, but I, I, I get the. I'm saying this now. I get the feeling that Amanda's really done, but you know, it's MMA. Who knows? Like I said, I mean, she may look and say, they may say, hey, you know, we can't, we can't let this division go forward with these kind of fights. Like, can you come back and please, like, you know, do this? We'll pay a couple million dollars, and maybe she'll do it. I don't know, but I get the feeling she's done. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to take anybody at their word because no one ever stays gone in the sport. Like, it's like I, I hate right. it. And I hate it also because, you know, generally when people come back, when they've gone out, like it generally doesn't go that well when they come back. Not always, but you know, the, I would say the averages are against you. Um, but yeah, no one ever stays gone, man. It's like, we call it MMA retirements. Like, it's just the real thing. Like no one stays retired. Yeah. And it could be a good play on her part too, right? Like Pennington and, and uh, and um, Pena, like they're not the kind of draw that Nunez is. So even if they go out and they they win the title, one of them wins the title, um, you know, six months a year down the road or whatever, the UFC is going to be calling Amanda like, dude, can you please come back? Like we're not <laughs> selling these pay per views, right? And that or you know maybe she calls the UFC and says, look, you know, you want me back? I got a I got a price. And yeah, now she can negotiate a little more, right? It's funny. I can't remember who I was talking to about this. Fighter was talking like Fighter was telling me, like you know, like they were nearing the end of their career, and they were just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting to where I'm getting to get retired. He's like, one thing I, I just can't do is like, you know, I'm not gonna make this kind of money in one night. Like it's just impossible. Like I'm not gonna make you know 100 grand to do anything else. Like I'll, I can make a comfortable living doing other things. But like it's hard to and and it, and like when it's a certain kind of fight, like I had a conversation with Joe Lozon. I think Joe Lozon's got the right idea. Joe Lozon is like, I'll come back and fight for the right fight and the right opportunity, but maybe I'll never fight again. He's not going to retire. He's not going to make a big to do about it. Like I'm retiring. I'm walking away. I'm hanging up the gloves. 
It's just like, I just may never fight again. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just going to leave the door open. I, I like that attitude. I think that, I think that's better than like making the big, you know, I'm retiring, hanging up the gloves, leave them in the octagon. And then six months later, you're like, you know, back, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. And Lazan, you know, he's a great example. Like dude's a, just a real martial artist, right? Like, you know, he's in the gym all the time. He owns his own gym. He trains there all the time. So yeah, the right opportunity comes up. Like, he's not retired. So I think that's a very smart way to do it. A very smart attitude. You know, you know, I'm kind of similar on that, right? Like I don't, um, you know, maybe I'll fight again. Maybe not, but I want to, which speaking of you interviewed Jim Miller earlier this week. And I know he had kind of, I don't like to even call it a call out because he didn't really call me out, but he mentioned my name and fighting me. So, um, you get no updates there, Damon. I didn't, well, I would have expected you when you said Jim Miller, I was like, I was like, and we talked about this, Matt. I was getting to that. So let me be clear about this, Matt. Let me tell you the truth. Jim Miller didn't call you out. I did it. I don't know if you know this or not. I did it on set on that night of the fight when Jim won. I did our post fight show. We were just chit chatting, like talking about Jim and everything. And I was like, you know what? Jim said he wanted to fight at welterweight. I was like, you know what kind of fight would make a lot of sense? And it would kind of break my heart because, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, you know, you know, our, our friendship and, and I've known Jim for Jim's a great dude. I don't know how well, you know, Jim, how much you met Jim. Great dude. Just all around. Great dude. I was going to kind of break my heart to see them fight each other, but I was like, that's the kind of fight they need. Jim Miller versus Matt Brown. So I put it out in the universe and everyone freaked out and said, Oh my God, that's perfect. Let's do it. UFC 300. So I mentioned it to Jim and I said, Jim, I know you're not the call out guy, but I mentioned Matt Brown and he's just like, yeah. He's like, that's the kind of fight I want. Like, that's the kind of fight. He's like, although that does kind of feel perfect for UFC 300. He's like, that sounds like a UFC 300 fight. And that's next March or April, depending on the timing. That's when it would be. And I was like, dude, that's the fight. You and Matt Brown at UFC 300 opening like the pay-per-view main card. How fucking awesome would that be? And he's down. He loves it. He loved the idea. Well, I've always had a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, frustration. I was a little bit, I wasn't that happy that I got skipped on for UFC 100. And then I got skipped on for UFC 200. So maybe UFC will let me come in on UFC 3 motherfucking 100. Let's go, Jim Miller. <laughs> I love it. I said, I said it's the perfect matchup. It's the all-time wins leader against the all-time knockout leader. How could you not, like, how is that not a perfect story? And listen, I respect all the young guys out there. You know I do, obviously. And I know you don't turn down fights. You'll fight. You fought young guys. You fought veterans. Like, But when they made you, when they booked the fight with you in court, I was like, that's a good fight. Like, court's an old school, you know, been around, good guy, you know, good fight. I like those fights. Like, I like the, you know what I mean? Like, those are the kind of fights I get up for. Like, and I wish, again, we I know we talked about the Robbie Lawler thing. Like, I wish you could have run it back with Robbie. That would be the kind of fight I'd want, right? Jim Miller, you and Jim, like that's just fucking awesome. Like that is a fight to watch. Who is not who is not gonna want to watch Matt Brown and Jim Miller? Uh, fuck it, make his main event then. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> UFC three hundred. But am I wrong in thinking like that's the kind of I mean, again, I know you're gonna fight who they throw in front of you. I know you're not the guy to turn down fights, but come on, tell me that like tell me you wouldn't get a little more up for Jim Miller than just like here's, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Williams, the new guy of the contender series, you're going to fight him. 
Jim Miller's yeah. like that's a, that's a better. I'm not saying it's like I'm not saying you wouldn't get up for, it, but I'm saying like you know like that's one. It's like oh okay, this is this is fucking cool. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know, it's nice to go in there when you have that much respect for the guy across from you. You know, and um, when you you know when you're sitting there thinking about the fight beforehand, when you uh, you know when you're in training, leading up to the fight, doing interviews, and um, and especially you know a guy like Jim Miller, where you know you're not gonna have to deal with all the shit talk and you know, any, any stupid bullshits, like, you know, at the weigh-ins or whatever, stare downs, like, you know, there's not going to be a big show. Like you two are there for business and you two are going to throw down. And, and when you've seen a guy fight that many times, like a Jim Miller, or like he's seen me fight so many times, you know, we know what we're going to do, right? Like we know what's coming. We know that we're both coming for war. We're both coming for battle. We're both coming to hurt the other guy. And both of us have a lot of potential to do that. So yeah, it, it's a fucking it's a great idea i think it's a great fight and uh or start calling you matchmaker damon i guess i was gonna say tell sean shelby owes me a percentage for coming up with that one because i was very proud of my matchmaking skills on that one now let me ask you this i talked to jim on the podcast last week and he said that like you know i timed it out and i said ufc 300 will be around march or april and i say march or april it depends on if the UFC does another like two pay-per-view months between now and then, but that's, what's going to average out to is about you about March or April of next year. Now, Jim said he wants to fight again this year. He doesn't want to sit out for the rest of the year. He wants to get one more in this year and then fight March or April. But I said, Matt Brown, he said, well, that like, I love that fight. I want, that would be one I would get up for. That's exactly the kind of fight I want. Matt's a legend, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, that feels like UFC 300. Like, that's special. Like, that's one you just can't throw on a fight night card or, you know, whatever. Like, that's a special fight. So let me ask you that question. Would you be will? I mean, I don't know. Do you want to fight again before then? Would you be willing? Because I know you're not going to fight this summer. You've already said that. You want to take time off to the end of summer. Um, would you want to wait for a Jim Miller? Would you want to get another one and fight Jim? I don't know. What Like, what's the ideal scenario of Jim Miller as the guy? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm dealing with a lot of stuff I'll be dealing with over the summer that once I get it, everything kind of taken care of on the personal side of life, um, business side of things, um, I'll have a better answer for that. Um, so honestly, like throughout the summer, I'm not even going to think about it. Um, I might start uh, training for a Southpaw though. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not really thinking about it. I just can't, you know, it's one of those things that uh, there's a lot of things that are out of my control at the moment. Um so if, if all the cards fall properly, everything goes the way that I wanted to, I'll be fighting again this year. Um, if things don't work out in my favor the way exactly that I want, then it might take until next year. And if it is next year, wouldn't that be perfect though? UFC 300, you and, you I mean, and Jim Miller, like that's like, you couldn't write a better story. I can't think of better timing either, you know, like get through the holidays and everything. You know, everything changes when you have kids, especially when they're getting to the age my kids, when they were younger, there was so much time that I missed with them, you know, just going out there, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to get the title, you know, I was doing everything I could. And um, so, you know, I sacrificed a lot of time with them. Um, they're at the age, I'm at the age where that's not uh, such a thing anymore. So things like the holidays or, you know, things like summer right now, like those things play a part in my uh, decision for when I'm going to fight. So like fighting, you know, January fifth or something like i don't like that you know what i mean now my holidays are gonna be fucked with my kids so uh, something like a march april actually makes a lot of sense something yeah. like a october november would make a lot of sense so you know there's there's only a few times throughout the year now that make a lot of sense for me to fight 
It's funny you say that because like that was another conversation I had with Joe Lozon. Like Joe's Joe is basically like I'm in this position now where I don't have to fight. Like I'm doing it because I want to fight. Like I want you know what I mean. Like I'm no longer in the position where like if they call me and say hey, we want you to fight October against this guy. And I'd be like, you know what? I don't really want to fight in October. I got this going on. I got that going on. You know, I'm just, I, you know, I'm not, not interested, you know? And he's not in a position where like, I have to do it. I have to climb the rankings. I have to do this. I have to do that. Um, obviously the money's there and that's always, that's always an enticing, you know, always enticing. But uh, I kind of feel like you and Jim, there's certain guys who are like in that same position. Like, you don't you, you, like if, if Sean Shelby called you right now and said, Hey, I need you to fight in August. You're going to tell him like, I'm not fighting right now. Like I'm not. You know, I'm doing summer with my kids, or like you said, like they call you and say, "Hey, we want you to fight December the tw- December twenty eighth. You know, that's that's the holidays. You're not gonna do it. Like you're in a position now where you're not gonna be like, no, I just it's not worth it to me to sacrifice that. You know what I mean? But like UFC three hundred, March April yeah. next year, I'm you know, down, March, yeah, yeah like that's perfect. Yeah, it, it actually is perfect. And so for me with the UFC, I, I I don't think they would mind me disclosing kind of how our relationship is like. Sean actually just tells me, you tell me when you want to fight and we'll find someone for that time. Now, <laughs> based on that timing, who's available could change. You know what I mean? So like, it might say, well, look, you know, this is the guy's available right here at this time. And, you know, they're all, you know, young up and comers or, you know, something like that. And, you know, the guy's available at this time might be, you know, like a court McGee type guy or something. Right. So, you know, that could play a role in those types of things. But again, I've never been the type to look at uh, the opponent really as much as, well, well, back in the day, it was just, you know, you tell me a uh, date and a wait and I'll be there. Um, but now, yeah, so now it's more like, look, these are the times that work for me. And, you know, let's put a guy in there across the cage and let's try to knock each other's teeth out. I think there's certain... Knocking out more teeth than they're getting knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I think when you're a veteran, you've been around and you've proven yourself like that. Like you've earned that. Like that's not a. I don't think that's a bad thing, right? That you have that kind of carte blanche a little bit with the promotion, where he says, "You tell me when you want to fight, and I'll get you something." You know what I mean? Like you've earned that. You like you yeah. and you've earned that right. Like you've been you fought the fights. You've been around when they called you. You stepped up when you needed to step up. You did the things and you've done it for years. You got the most knockouts in UFC history. All these kind of things. So like the fact that you have that little bit of leeway, I think that says a lot about who you are. And, and I think you've earned that, right? Like that's not a knock. That's you've absolutely earned that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't knocking. Well, I just, you know, I'm not sure that the UFC likes people disclose him what <laughs> their business practices, you know what I mean? Like some other fighter hear that and be like, Oh, motherfuckers don't do it for me or whatever. And then, then you know, but my whole thing is I don't want to cause more stress for someone like Sean. He's always been real good to me. And, you know, some fighter calls him and, He's like, oh, you know, you fucking did that for Matt Brown, he said, you know, like, what the fuck? And then Sean's like, God damn it, would you just, you know, <laughs> like, he's got to deal with how many hundreds of fighters. And, like, I I just can't imagine the kind of bullshit they got to go through, you know? Like, yeah. We're all Let fucking me- hassle. I've never, and I think that's why they appreciate that. I think that's why people like me, Lazan, Miller, you know, that's how we built that relationship because they're like, finally, a guy that's not giving me a fucking hassle about everything. Like we ask him to fight and he says, okay. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I've never, I would never put you on the spot about your own career, but recently after Jim won his last fight, he now has, he has the most wins in UFC history. I think 25. And I think he's a couple ahead of Arlovsky also fought and lost. So he's like two ahead. He's two ahead of Cerrone. Cerrone's done. He's two ahead of Arlovsky. Arlovsky lost his last fight. I think he's two ahead of everybody now. The most wins in UFC history. And Jim's been around forever. You know, 
veteran, never fought for a title, but he's been around forever and been one of the top guys. Last week, Daniel Cormier, who I love, by the way, Daniel Cormier is my guy. He said he doesn't think longevity should get you in the UFC Hall of Fame. He doesn't believe Jim Miller is a UFC Hall of Famer. Now, I disagree. The UFC Hall of Fame is not a typical Hall of Fame. It's not the Baseball Hall of Fame where you poll a thousand coaches and writers and everyone votes on it and you get in or don't based on that. This is just UFC preferential. Like they're just, they're picking who they want to be in the Hall of Fame. And most of the people in the Hall of Fame make sense. You know, Khabib, Cormier, Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz, you know, all the legends. Like, okay, that's easy. Like those are easy choices to get in the Hall of Fame. This year, Donald Cerrone's going in. And some people would say, well, Donald Cerrone doesn't really deserve to go in. He was, I mean, yeah, he fought for a title a couple of times, but he was never that guy, never became a champion. You know, he's kind of, you know, whatever. he was the guy who stayed active, fought a lot, all those kind of things, but whatever. I disagree. Company guy, fought his ass off. And again, I don't know why anyone really cares about this, but like DC, who I love, said, I don't think longevity gets you in. And I said, listen, Jim Miller already has the record for the most wins in UFC history. He's not done yet. Maybe he extends that record. But if he retires as the guy with the most wins in the UFC history, and it's going to be, I mean, obviously Arlovsky could potentially pass him, but Arlovsky's like 45 or 46, so he ain't going to be around that much longer. Um, Anyone else is going to have to take a little while to get there. Like, to me, Jim Miller's a Hall of Famer. Am I wrong? Am I like I, I I know maybe it doesn't even matter, but I'm like, dude, that's a Hall of Famer to me. Like, when you have the most wins in UFC history, that matters. Yeah, I I don't know what the standard is for the UFC Hall of Fame. You know, like you said, there is no standard. That's the thing. There is no standard. Yeah, it's a little bit preferential, and you know, I I, I'm guessing a DC. I I mean, I'm guessing that he's on the 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 notion that you have to be a UFC champion to be worthy of the Hall of Fame, and you know, I don't necessarily believe that. Um, But you know, I get you know for things like that. I just I think there should be sort of a a criteria, you know, and, uh, there's not one. So, you know, a guy like Jim Miller, who's been doing it for so long, doing it for so well for so long. And I I think maybe even there's a little piece of us that like, we know his story, like with the Lyme disease and everything. And, you know, the way he fought through that and, and was still winning and still kicking ass, man, like, you know, probably gives a little bit more, um, you know, preferential treatment for that. So, you know, I don't know, but, you know, I, I don't, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with having maybe a, um, what they call it, like a wing of the UFC. You know, these guys were not uh, a Hall of Fame. You know, we're like these guys were not champions, but they fucking deserve a name on the wall to be remembered by. Yeah, like I don't have a problem there going to Cerrone. Like I don't have a problem with that. Like Cerrone put in his work. He was a, he was around, put on entertaining fights, won a lot. He was the guy with the most wins in UFC history until recently, obviously when Jim passed him and and, and you know beat him up. But like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. I think it's weird to like be protected. Like, I don't, and I, this is not like DC. Like I think he's a bad guy for saying it, and I get what he's saying. But there's no standard as it is. If there was a standard, we should have had that at the beginning. There is no standard, so. Um, you know, like you said, Jim Miller's a guy who's been around. Like, honor that dude. Like, that's the kind of guy you do honor. Like, he's been and he had some, dude, those fights he had with Lozon were legendary. He's had some crazy his fight, Dustin Poirier a couple years ago was freaking awesome. Like, he puts on battles, man. He puts on good fights. He's always entertaining. He's got a huge finishing rate. Um, you know, and like I said, he's not done yet. Maybe when he does retire, he's got like 30 UFC wins, and maybe no one will touch that for years. How could you not want to put that guy in the Hall of Fame? 
yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I said, I think, you know, I don't know shit about any hall of fame, to be honest. So <laughs> it's hard, you know, for me to have an opinion on, cause I don't know how other hall of fames work. I don't know what you gotta do to get into them, but I'm, I'm guessing like a baseball hall of fame, like you don't have to win the super bowl to be in the baseball hall of fame. Right. Yeah. Or world series or whatever. Right. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to win that to, to be in the um, hall of fame. Right. Yeah. Correct. You know, so I, I'm guessing that's what Daniel Cormier is getting at, right? Is he's basically saying you got to be a champion. You know, you got to have a belt to get into the Hall of Fame. It's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. And I disagree. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I think, again, like, yeah, there's got to be a standard in terms of, like, you can't put everybody in. And I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't, but like Jim Miller, much like Donald Cerrone, that's a guy you put in. Like, that's a guy who's put in his put his yeah, so, ass I mean, in line you, for that. If you years, look at you know? like criteria, like why would longevity not be a part of the criteria? Like, this is a hard fucking sport to have longevity in, right? And yeah. it's, it's not like he was, you know, longevity. Um, I, I don't know, like, like not doing anything. You know, I mean? like you said, he's got the most wins too. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like he just simply wasn't doing anything the whole time. So. You know, like what is the uh, criteria he's talking about? You know, if it's um, if his personal criteria is, and I love DC too. You know, I'm not knocking him. You know, he's got a, he's entitled to his own opinion. But like, if your criteria is going to be that you have to be a champion to get in, well, that's going to exclude a lot of guys that probably deserve to get in. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And and I like what you just said there. Longevity is a criteria to me. Like, dude, you realize how hard it is to be in the UFC for 15 years, I think is how long he's been in the UFC. You know how hard that is? You know? You know, it's not. 15 years that's also. what I'm saying. Like, you don't was, do was he that. In 2008 also? I think, that, I think that's when he got in also. I think he got in right around the same time. Yeah. Wow. So. That's amazing. Yeah, but like think about that. Like, how many people? How many people? Look at the list of people who are fighting in two thousand seven, two thousand eight in the UFC who are still in the UFC. I mean, I can't think of very many. Was know? it like five? Was it like you, him, Lozon? Like, there's like five people. Yeah, Clay Guida. Yeah. Um, God, I, who else? I don't know. Arlovsky. Robbie R- Robbie is still around. He's got one more well, fight left, but he's still around. You know, like that kind of thing. Well, Arlovsky, like, he was actually out of the UFC for a while, right? And Robbie was too. Robbie left for Robbie, a while too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the, but that's what I'm saying. Like longevity, kind of like I used to have this conversation all the time with Frank Mir before he kind of got, you know, when he kind of got done, like he was like 15 or 16 years in. I was like, like, dude, like, do you realize how rare it is to like be in this sport for this long at this level? Like just being in the UFC for this long, like, you know, as well as I do, most guys, like if they spend five years in the UFC, it's a big deal, right? Like yeah, imagine yeah, spending I mean, 15 years in the UFC. Right. I mean, it seems to me that the hall of fame would be reserved. Like the criteria, you know, it doesn't have to be a necessarily like a on paper written down. This is the exact criteria, but you have to do something extraordinary. And yeah. longevity is an extraordinary feat, right? To have longevity in the sport. I mean, I mean, we got to be in the 0.1% of, of uh, MMA fighters that have been through the UFC. How many thousands and thousands have been through the UFC at this point? Yeah. And also let's not forget, you don't get to stick around for 15 years 
if you're like two and 17, you know what I mean? Like right, you have right. like a, like legit records. Like you have the most knockouts in UFC history he has the most wins. It's not like you didn't, it's not like you stuck around. And they let you stick around with like a five and 15 record. Like you have a legit record. You have made records. You broke records. Like that goes along with the longevity. Like that's why you have the longevity is because you broke, like you have most knockouts. He has the most wins. Like that's, those are huge career achievements and you don't get those, like just being in the UFC, like you have to do special things to do that. Like Jim Miller right. has 25 wins in the UFC. That's a ridiculous number of wins and the biggest organization in the world. If he was like 10 and 25, you wouldn't be in the UFC anymore. <laughs> right. Right. It's not, not like Sam Alvey longevity, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're doing again, you're doing something extraordinary and it is extraordinary. Um, not to toot my own horn, you know, but to be in there for 15 years, that's a fucking extraordinary feat. You know, it'd be cool. You know, you know, it'd be cool. UFC 300, the UFC Hall of Fame fight, Matt Brown versus Jim Miller. That would be like a way to sell that one right there. The <laughs> Hall of Fame fight. Like the winner gets to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, just automatic induction. All right, I like it. I like it. Or we could just do like, you know, uh, the loser has to retire, or you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, dude, I don't know what it is, man. When I said that, like in passing that night, I was like, oh my God, I just did like my best bit of matchmaking ever. Like, I kind of hate it because you and Jim are both great dudes. And like, you know, it's going to break my heart that, you know, somebody's going to lose in that fight. But dude, that's the fight, man. That's the one. Like, as soon as I said, it, I was like, oh my God, that's what, cause I, again, I know you well enough to know that you're going to fight, you know, you know, when the time's right, all the things we just talked about, but like, Court McGee, that was fun. When you got Robbie Lawler, that was fun. Carlos Condit, like those legendary kind of fights. There's only so many of those guys still around. You and Jim Miller's the kind of fight. Like, don't get me wrong. If they match you up with a really fun welterweight fight and there's another guy out there, sure, it'll be fun. But you and Jim Miller, like, that's a legendary fight. Like, that's the kind of fight you remember. That's the kind of fight you write home about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, I think that's the kind of fight you and Jim both deserve. Yeah, well, I'm cool with it. Let's go. That's what Jim said. Jim's like, Matt, Matt Brown's the kind of guy who scares you. And that's the kind of guy who gets you up in the morning when you're like getting up to train. Like you're like, oh, I don't want to get up. Fuck. I got to fight Matt Brown. Yes, I am getting up to train. Like that's, <laughs> he's like, he's the kind of guy that scares you. I, I love that attitude though. Right? Like that's the kind of attitude you got to have. Well, Jim Miller is not a non-scary guy himself. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think it makes for a great fight. And I mean, he looked tremendous the other day. So um yeah let's go man i'm i'm down for it. To, to tell sean shelby he can take the day off i just did his job for him yeah i like it i'm i think yeah sean be all about it i think it's pretty simple right like i don't know how you can say no to it like two guys call you and say hey we want to fight them this date all right and ufc 300 how could it get more awesome like you said you missed out on 100 you missed out on 200 let's go ufc 300 how could that not be cool yeah i dig it bro See, well, that's what I said. You know, I'm just saying, look for look for my percentage now for doing a little matchmaking. <laughs> uh, all right, folks, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, schedule slowing down a little bit. We got Marvin Vittori and uh, Jared Cannonier this weekend. We got the UFC on ABC next weekend with Josh Emmett and Ilya Taporia. Uh, leading into International Fight Week coming up in a few weeks with, of course, Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Yaya Rodriguez and Brandon Moreno against Alessandre Pantoja. So we'll talk about those coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Matt, where can people find you, support you, people that support you? Where can they find that for you? You know, social media, bro. At I am the immortal. Also, you can check out the immortal coffee on social media also. And that is 
at the immortal coffee pretty simple right <laughs> and we also <laughs> i'm sitting here trying to trying to talk while i read off the code which should be pretty goddamn simple the code for immortal coffee if you want to save 15 percent, type in code immortal with a capital i for 15 percent off all products including shirts and coffee it's all things of- coffee It'll put it'll put hair on your chest. That's the uh, that's the Immortal Coffee brand. It'll put hair on your chest. It well, it, if you want hair on the chest, it'll put hair on your chest. If you don't want it, then you can still drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's 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 Immortal Damon, Coffee. You, it's Immortal Coffee. We're gonna have to get you some shirts to wear during the podcast because um, you don't drink coffee. Yeah, your boy, your nutritionist said he was gonna he was gonna teach me how to drink coffee. He's yet to come through for me on that though. He said he because he told me he's like I didn't used to drink coffee now I do. I was like, all right, I'm willing to try. He just never he never got back to me about hooking up on how to drink coffee. So uh, if he gets back with me, I'll try it again. But yeah, give me a t shirt. I'll rock a t shirt all the time. Let's go, bro. You know Let's what I saw? You know, you yeah, know, what I, I know, I know a place about 15 minutes from here where you can go get a t shirt. <laughs> That's anytime. true. That's true. Yeah. I was actually, I was actually right by, it's so funny. I was actually right by your gym, uh, about two, it was at night. So you were closed. So I didn't come up there when you're open, but I was up there going up to, uh, up in, uh, up in, up in uh, Powell getting some, uh, I care what I was up there for. I was getting some, getting dinner or something. I was like, Oh yeah, Matt's gym's like right over there. So yeah, I need to come up there and, uh, and do that and, uh, get me an immortal coffee shirt and support the immortal coffee brand. And I'm still willing to try the coffee. I, I may not be a big coffee drinker, but I'm always willing to try new things. All right, let's go, bro. Let's get it. I love it. I love it. All right, folks, we're going to get out of here. Uh, We appreciate everyone tuning in each and every week to the Fighter versus the Rider. We'll be back next week with more show. Uh, Obviously, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. For Matt Brown, I am Damon Martin. We'll see you next week for another edition of the Fighter versus the Rider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.